As you can see, we continue in this, uh, as we head to the fall, um, in really what is a season of rebuilding all of our volunteer teams um, in all of our areas of ministry. And so if you've got questions about volunteering in any way, please don't hesitate um, to reach out to us. I want to say good morning to those of you who are watching online today too. And it's great to have you joining us or if you're listening to this later in the week via podcast. Uh, next Sunday, we'll be at 10 o'clock again, 10 a.m. We're going to have baptisms next Sunday. And we're looking forward to that. And then the Sunday after that, I know we all want to think that September is nine weeks away. Um, but on September 11th, we will go back to two services. Now, I realize that in the last year, we've had service times that about, we've changed about nine different times. So I'm going to get you to repeat after me. On September 11th, services will be at 9.30 and 11. Say it out loud. 9.30 and 11. Okay. So if you show up at 9, that's okay. If you show up at 10, well, you've got choices of what to do, but 9.30 and 11 starting on September the 11th. Also on September the 11th, it's going to be our Welcome Back Sunday, and just kind of a, a kickoff day. And so after the 11 o'clock service only, we are going to have a barbecue in the parking lot and activities and games, uh, information if you're wondering about how to get involved in things, all kinds of stuff going on. So we invite you to stick around and join us for that. That's after the 11 o'clock service only. You can come to the 9.30 and then go home and relax, have a coffee, and then come back later. Or if the thought of a whole lot of people in one space is not at all appealing to you, you can go to the 9.30 and then go home and be at peace. So uh, you've got choices, but we're looking forward to, to that Sunday together. Today we're going to go through three sections of Matthew chapter 7. We've been working through the Sermon on the Mount, the teaching that Jesus gave to his disciples on a hillside. Many scholars believe that this sermon was kind of Jesus' stump sermon, that he gave it often and everywhere that he went, because in it he captures what life looks like for you and I who want to follow him. That if we want to be a disciple of Jesus, Jesus captures for us in these wonderful and deeply challenging verses where and what life truly looks like. Uh, so this morning we're going to start at Matthew chapter 7, uh, starting at verse 13. If you want to turn in your Bibles, it's on page 1506, if you're using the ones in the seat in front of you, or you can look it up electronically as well. Matthew chapter 7. I'm just going to read the first uh, two verses here, 13 to 15. Jesus says this, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Now, Chances are, um, we might be tempted when we hear those verses to kind of get focused on the word narrow, because it's become a loaded word in our culture. But the theme of this verse, and the theme of the rest of the verses that we're going to go through in chapter 7, is life. Jesus is showing us where it is that we can find life. When Jesus lived his life, people were captured by it. They were attracted to him. They were puzzled by it. There was something about the way he lived that was fundamentally different than the way everybody else lived. And people were curious, what is it that makes him different? What is it that makes him tick? And on the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus is saying to us, this life that you see me living out before you is underpinned by some specific beliefs. And I'm living from these beliefs and you're witnessing the fruit of those beliefs. So if you want to have the life I have, 
You have to believe and live from the same place that I do. And this is the beauty of the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, the life I live is by walking on the narrow path. Now, if someone comes up to you and says, look, I've been listening to you talk and it sounds really narrow, you don't take that as a compliment, certainly not in these days. Because our culture is trying to live out the belief that truth is relative, which means I believe what I believe. You believe what you believe, and they're both equally right, even if they're the exact opposite things. This is what Jesus would call the wide path, where I don't want to get involved in your business. I'm not going to tell you how to live your life. You're not going to tell me how to live my life, because that would be narrow-mindedness. And nothing in our culture is more offensive than being called narrow-minded. Now, to our Canadian ears, the idea Um, of living this way sounds very attractive, that, you know, we're just going to have all kinds of respect, which of course we should. But to believe that truth is relative is actually not something that we live, and I would encourage to say it's not something that we want people living out either. For example, let me give you some examples. Raise your hand today if you believe that all roads or all paths or all ways of handling your money will lead to financial well-being. That it doesn't matter how you spend your money, it doesn't matter what you spend it on, it doesn't matter what you do with it. At the end of your life, you will have enough money to pay your bills, to go out for the nice odd meal, and to kind of have your basic needs met. Raise your hand if you believe that. You're also narrow-minded. You believe there's like certain ways to live and certain ways not to handle your money? How dare you? I'm canceling you. Look, the truth is, we know, we live with the idea that there's certain rules that lead to financial well-being, namely, spend less than you earn. And there are certain ways that will lead to financial death and financial ruin and pain and struggle and hardship. So we do actually believe that the path is narrow. Another, we like to live in a day where everybody says, you do you. You do what it is that you want to do. You do what makes you happy. And then, of course, there are some people that do that to the extreme. And they're living their life, they're doing whatever they want to do, and then suddenly, they cross an invisible line that none of us talk about in culture, and they go too far. And then everybody is in an uproar over them, and they just pile on the person and are canceling them and furious at them, and this person becomes persona non grata everywhere they go. It's ironic. We say we want everybody to be able to live and do what they want until they do. And then quietly, we're kind of saying to ourselves, no, no, there's some things that we agree on that are essential for life. And the road, as soon as we do that, suddenly gets narrow. My point is this. While we might assume or people might tell us walking the narrow path is negative, it's actually what most of us believe, that there are certain ways to live that will bring us to life. So when Jesus says, narrow is the path that leads to life, he's saying that there's some ways of living that naturally lead to flourishing, and there's some ways that naturally lead to spiritual death. And narrow is not, I'm burying my head in the sound, sand, and I'm not listening to anybody, and I'm intolerant, not at all. To live the narrow path means I've looked at all the options. I might have even practiced living some of these different options in my own life. 
And I've discovered that Jesus is the way, that Jesus is the truth, and when I live as Jesus has called me to live, I find life. And I am not going back to any other way. He's the path, and I'm not deviating from it. That's what Jesus means by narrow. So maybe you've tried a a way of living too. I think of people who try to manage their own sin, get a sense of clean in their own heart from the sin that they've lived all on their own, only to discover that there's nothing more beautiful than the grace of God expressed in Jesus Christ to us, and they felt clean in Christ. I think of people who've tried to live with themselves at the center of their life. It's all about them. All they're going to do is whatever makes them happy or leads their life to benefit them. And they discovered at the end of the road, they were lonely. And they found a better way in Christ, a life of service to others. The way Jesus lived his life was a narrow way. And if we want to be disciples of Jesus, then we have to be prepared to walk the narrow path too. To acknowledge there are some ways that lead to flourishing. And there are some ways that lead to spiritual death. And that we ought to live with Jesus as our Lord of our life. Now, the next section of verses that Jesus talks about here in verses 15 to 23 in chapter 7. In case you're getting smug as Christians and we're thinking, oh, we don't want to live like the world lives or like culture lives or whatever. Jesus' next verses are directed to us, to people within the church. Um, reminding us that not only is it important to pay attention to what's going on around us, but also pay attention to the whispers, to the voices, the things that shape us inside the Christian community as well. Let's read Matthew 7, 15 to 23. Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire or the green bin. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now Jesus is speaking here to those within the Christian community who will try to invite us to take the wide road. People within the Christian community who will use Christian language and adopt a Christian message, and yet really they'll be selling a wide path to Christians. He uses the imagery here of sheep and wolves. And for we city people, uh, wolves are predatory to sheep, so they're dangerous. And if you've never seen a sheep before, uh, I found this wonderful video. This might just kind of help capture it a little bit here. This will inspire you, no doubt. This is a dance troupe from Toronto, actually in France, uh, pretending to be sheep. They're taking applications if you'd like to join them. Do you think they could be easily led astray, those brilliant sheep? 
Is there any chance that they could be harm? There's harm of that they might actually be led astray by people with an alternative motive other than Christ's. Jesus acknowledges that within his day and that within our day, it is probably maybe one of our greatest temptations doesn't come from without the church, but maybe from someone who's within the church who has a message that's alternative to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, sheep, they're easily led astray, they're easily fooled, and we can see this because they're enticed by maybe a more comfortable way, a more self-suiting way, um, because they, the people that are talking to us, they use the right religious language, they've got Bible verses to quote everything that they're trying to sell us. And we can be tempted like the, pro, like the people of Israel in the Old Testament, when Jeremiah was calling them to repentance, they said, look, Jeremiah, enough with the repentance language. Speak to us smooth things. Jesus acknowledges that at times it will be difficult to judge the motive of someone else and at times even the message of someone else. And I know because I've gotten emails from some of you over these last two years who've watched more online church services than you would normally do during the pandemic. You watched this service, you watched all kinds of services all over the country, all over the world because... Every church on planet Earth went online really quickly, and there was no end of options. And sometimes people would email me and say, I don't know, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? Let me kind of give you the three answers that I gave to people as people tried to discern about the quality of the teaching that they were listening to. Just three things. The first was this. Is Jesus at the center? Now, that might seem obvious, but it's an important question. Is the speaker or the teacher or whoever pointing you to Jesus? Or are they really about themselves? John the Baptist's great line is the great test. I or the speaker must decrease. Jesus must increase. And if the speaker or the preacher or the church or whatever is all about themselves and not about Jesus, that's a warning sign. The second, are they empowering you to be the people of God? Are they empowering you to be the people of God or to be dependent upon them for what you think and what you do? God's spirit lives in each and every one of us. And Jesus has set us free. And so anybody that communicates to you that says you can't think on your own, you have to believe this, you can't believe anything else, uh, you can't argue with us, is a huge red flag for me. The third one, very simply, is are they accountable? Is the speaker or the preacher or the teacher above reproach and refuses to be under any authority at all? And if that's the case, huge concern. We are all sinful and human and all must be under the authority of someone. Even Jesus himself said, I have not come to do my will. I've come to do the will of my Father. So as we listen, and with all of the Christian podcasts, books, websites, with all of the content that's swirling around right now, we ought to listen with a discerning ear to lead us to faithfulness in Christ. And it is a narrow path. Now, I'm sure at this point, Jesus' disciples are like, can't we just go back to all the blesseds? I mean, this is getting heavy. Can't we just, isn't everybody blessed again? Can't we just go back to that blessed are you and blessed are me? And then Jesus actually 
goes even sharper in his discussion with these disciples. With his last warning, he says, because it's entirely possible, it's entirely possible for you and I to think we're following Christ, to serve God with our life and to stand before him someday. And he says to us, I'm sorry, I didn't know you. Now, these words that Jesus is giving in this moment truly are for all of us and should cause us to reflect. But he's really speaking to the religious leaders here because he uses two examples following. He talks about the power gifts, those who are doing healing and those who are prophesying, the kind of gifts that if you have them and are using them in a community setting, people are going to take notice. Oh, they heal. Ooh, they speak, and it actually happens. They're impressive, and they're going to have a following, and people are going to pay attention to them. And Jesus says this, Anyone who has power and influence or platform must pay attention to the state of our hearts because these things can corrupt us. So much so that it's entirely possible for us to stand before Jesus someday and he says to us, I'm sorry, I don't know you. We weren't in relationship with each other. You were doing your thing in my name. You were quoting scripture and you had your own thing going on, but it wasn't about me. It wasn't about me. It was about you. So Jesus starts off by talking the road is narrow in terms of the path of the world. He says even within the Christian community, it narrows even more. This must have Christ at its center. And now he's going to narrow it even further. Let me just read for you these last verses, uh, starting at verse 24. And if you break out in song as I read these, I won't be sad. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. This whole section of teaching, Jesus keeps narrowing the focus even further till now. He's saying, look, even within the Christian community, and this is not about Christians and non-Christians. These verses are about Christians, all about Christians. Christians who were in church, and they heard the sermon, and they took the notes, and they highlighted them, and they amen at the right spot, and they raised their hands in worship, and they blogged about it later, and have a tattoo about it, and it's just wonderful. But they've never applied it to their life. You see, the deciding difference between these two kinds of Christians, Jesus says, is that one listens and applies it, and one listens and does not apply it. That's the only difference. They look exactly the same from the outside in a church service. And after teaching on where life is truly found, Jesus says the ultimate mark of a disciple is obedience. The difference between a wise Christian and a foolish Christian has nothing to do with intelligence, but everything to do with obedience. The Christian life that crashes or that comes undone are people who find Jesus' words important enough to hear, but not important enough to apply. Important enough to hear, but too impractical. 
It's going to mess with my life at too deep of a level. And so, let me challenge me and challenge you as we think about this Sermon on the Mount. You might say, wow, that was like amazing, and wow, some great verses in there, and wow, some cool ideas, and wow, that really made me think. That's great. What do we need to apply? What of this teachings that we've been going through over these last two months has God been speaking to you about? Have you sensed that the Spirit has been kind of stirring in your heart about, but you've yet to act on it or to deep into, dive into it deeper? We've talked about things like lust and anger, honoring your marriage vows, mercy, forgiveness, prayer, generosity, turning the other cheek, going the second mile, rethinking what it looks like to be a Christian. What has Jesus been speaking to you about? Because if you would apply it, that's when we find life. It's not in the hearing of it, it's not in the agreeing with it, it's not in the thinking, that's it, I think I figured it out now, it's not in the knowledge. It's in the application to our life. That's when we find life. I was doing some uh, reading a few weeks ago for this series and found this old book that had some good stuff in it and I was kind of going through it and reading and reading and the author got talking about someone that had been really inspirational to them. And had really turned their life around and kind of motivated them to do the same thing. And how this person is an outstanding model for all of us. And, you know, we should really kind of look at their life and use them as an example. And then as it went on, again, this is an older book. The person was O.J. Simpson. And I thought, oh, books that have not aged well. The belief about where you find faith and what you will put your trust in is the foundation of faith. The one whom you choose to trust with your life is the foundation of your faith. Jesus uses this building contractor metaphor at the end, being a carpenter. It would be something he knew about. Building a house is not about what appears on the surface. It's about what exists beneath the surface. It's about the foundation. It's about the foundation. And if you and I want to know life that is truly life, then a foundation must be Christ. It must underpin our belief and be the source from which we live our lives. Not life and Jesus or money and Jesus or career and prestige and then a little bit of Jesus on the side. No, it must be Jesus first, the foundation upon which we live our life. And then Jesus says, you will have life and life to the full. And then we as a church will be able to give witness to the watching world around us about where true life is really found. Let's pray. Jesus, today we thank you for these words that challenge us. Maybe they bother us a little bit. Or maybe they just are like the aroma of life to us today. Because we've been searching and we've been looking and we've tried all kinds of things. Or Lord, maybe we have tried all kinds of things and then tried to add you on top of it and a little bit of you on the side. And we're to the point now where we don't want that any longer. We want you and you alone. Lord, we pray today that our hearts would be open. 
that we might experience the life that you have invited for each and every one of us. Lord, that we would trust this promise, this incredibly profound promise that you make to us about where life can truly be found as we make you the foundation of our lives. We thank you for this in your name. Amen.